0: Do a pretty good Mark Wolf imitation, don't is Isn't that interesting? Uh, how are you, people? Good to have you back for our regular Friday episode of Starting Strength Radio. Uh, first, though, we need to visit the most popular segment of our podcast, which is comments. 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 From, From the, the haters. haters. All right, this one is in response to uh, the how to deadlift, the rather long, informative how to deadlift video we just put up. Um, that was, by the way, shot at the grand opening of the Houston Starting Strength uh, Gym, Starting Strength Houston. Is its name Our franchise location in Houston Place is beautiful It's in a lovely little gentrified area West of downtown Houston And uh, I'd in- encourage you all to drop by And see what's going on J.D. and Josh and Shelley And uh, the Vanilla Gorilla Are down there Working their little asses off Trying to make this the best Gym in the chain Give them a shot. Chris Parades Parides, Parides says, Rip has a knack for creating an environment of sexual harassment. He's obviously learned to sublimate his rapist tendencies very well. If, Chris, if you only knew how thin the line is. Between me me coaching a female and me raping that female, that same female, it's a paper, paper thin boundary. Yeah, and ask Rusty. (laughs) (laughs) Rusty walks lightly around here. (laughs) Can't look at you in the eye right now. No, no, you can't, can you? (laughs) Rusty never drops the soap. Okay. This is Thomas Jefferson who quotes, who comments on YouTube from a room full of Texas fatties while making a woman do the lift. <laughs> okay. Uh, making a woman do the lift what's he implying women can't lift he, he's implying that women don't lift unless we make them unless we no. texans make them lift it's kind of sexist. it is sexist it's racist it's sexist it's homophobic it's white nationalism it's all those things right rip's been wearing the same clothes for 30 years Why be wasteful? You know, just gratuitously change clothes. That's for that's for women. Women flaming homosexuals, just to further the stereotype. (laughs) Right? That makes us flaming homosexuals. Yeah, you guys change clothes every day. That's because they stink. I change my clothes when they stink. I just don't stink very bad. I don't stink very bad. Hope you told this. I'm going to read this exactly like it's written because you're not going to believe this. Hope you told they stupid woman to stop lifting and destroying their T.H.E.R.E. vaginas. Plenty leakage in later life. Pissing themselves cause C.O.S. They thought they like men. Women are really sick, A. Make me laugh, stupid woman. Cool. Bottom 3%, I'm telling you. Who, who said the, the bottom 3%, the Baron and Rudy. Two people said this. <laughs> the Baron and Rudy. It was a collaborative effort, apparently. <laughs> 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 Uncle Venus predictably shows up this is not nearly gay enough to jerk off to rip show your fucking nipples (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and that's comments comments. from From the the haters. haters our favorite little part of the show here oh god almighty all right just wanted to point out a couple of things to you people we have a nutrition camp in uh Starting Strength Dallas on September the 14th. That'll be uh, Robert Santana. It's a one-day camp. It's not much money. What is it, $200? The Dallas one is $200. Dallas one's $200. The whole day, you'll be talking to Robert. He'll be giving you specific recommendations about diet, answering specific questions that you might have about this sort of thing, and uh, whether you need to lose weight, gain weight, maintain change body composition. This is the kind of stuff he's going to deal with. And that'll be Saturday, September the 14th at Starting Strength Dallas. And the next month in October, on October 12th and 13th, here in Wichita Falls, we're having the nutrition and rehab camp. And that will feature uh, Robert Santana and Dr. Will Morris and uh, Dr. Morris Physical Therapy DPT. And he's coming in from uh, Washington state and uh, coming all the way down here for this camp. Uh, there are four or five physical therapists in existence that uh, have a grasp of this material. Uh, Will is one of them and Will is very good. He works with the army and he is, uh, he's seen a lot of very exotic injuries and he knows his shit about rehab. And, uh, if you've got rehab issues, you've got injuries, you've got problems that you need to have addressed in a, in a situation like this one-on-one uh, with Will Morris, this would be a beautiful opportunity to combine both the nutrition and the rehab camp. Now, this is a two-day camp, and it's here in Wichita Falls. It's October the 12th and 13th. You will benefit. Make your plans now. Okay, today we're going to look at a different thing than we've looked at before. We are going to talk about Olympic weightlifting, the sport of Olympic weightlifting, the snatch and the clean and jerk. Now, this is something I've been dealing with professionally for about 30 years. I first uh, went to what at the time was a week-long coaching development course at the Olympic Training Center back in 1989. We stayed there for a week during the summer. This was when the organization was called the United States Weightlifting Federation. And they hosted everybody there for a week. We stayed on the campus. We dealt with four or five very high-level coaches and a bunch of high-level athletes at the Olympic Training Center. And so that was my first formal uh, credential that I obtained in olympic weightlifting i'd been dealing with the sport several years prior to that uh bill starr was my coach and he was obviously an olympic lifter back in the 60s so i'd had a lot of exposure to the lifts as well as to uh friends of mine uh that were also coached by star uh jim mosier was a good friend of mine remains a good friend of mine today and uh I trained with him quite a bit, and uh, we had uh, we'd had a uh, uh, a long productive relationship where we'd discussed a lot of stuff about the Olympic lift. So I had had quite a bit of exposure to the the sport of Olympic weightlifting prior to that. Obtained that credential, which was at the time called the Level One. Name of the credential has been changed several times. Since then, but at the time it was the level one credential and it was a fairly in-depth exposure to the to the process Uh, as I continued coaching the lifts and uh, Dealing with Olympic weightlifters over time. i developed my own thoughts on the subject and uh, These are what I'm going to share with you today Uh, Olympic weightlifting is uh, a sport of force production. It is, uh, the display of strength quickly. And the reason that Olympic weightlifting is a display of power is because of the nature of the two lifts, the snatch and the clean and jerk all involve acceleration. So let's, let's break this down and be pedantic about exactly what we're talking about here. So let's describe the clean in excruciating detail, all right? And uh, I think if we examine it carefully, you'll see exactly what the situation is here. The clean involves a loaded barbell that starts on the floor. The barbell is pulled off the floor and caught in a position on top of the shoulders, and and depending on uh, how flexible the lifter is, the, the rack position on top of the shoulders can look different. But in every case, the bar is sitting at some point on the meat of the deltoids, and this is necessary for the subsequent jerk to be accomplished. But the clean itself is a pull from the floor and it is a sub maximal pull. A one rep max deadlift is a maximal pull. A one RM pull is a one rep max deadlift. A clean is a sub maximal pull and a snatch is an even more sub maximal pull. In other words, a max clean is not a maximum pull, a max Snatch is not a maximum pull, not at all. Uh, people clean various percentages of their deadlift. Uh, people clean even lower. Per- people snatch even lower percentages of their deadlift because of the nature of the two lifts. A clean is happens when you accelerate the bar off the floor. The bar is sitting on the floor at zero velocity. All right. And in order for you to impart velocity to the bar, make it move upward, you're going to have to produce force against the bar. The force against the bar, if, for example, 405 is laying on the floor, not kilos, if 405 is laying on the floor, then in order to make it move upward, You have to exert a force of 406, in scare quotes, on the bar. Okay? 406 is shorthand for an amount of force greater than the force of gravity holding the bar down on the floor. So, to get really pedantic, 405 in pounds is a unit of force. That's a measurement of the amount of force that gravity is exerting on the load a pound being a unit of force a kilo is a unit of mass a pound is a unit of force so it really is more proper to say pounds than it is kilos in this in this discussion unit of force in the metric system is newtons but we're just going to say pounds because you and i all know what pounds are uh bars laying on the floor 405 all right The earth is exhorting 405 pounds of force against that mass of weight on the bar. In order for you to make it go up, you have to exert in excess of 405, and we're just going to call that number 406. If you exert 406 worth of force on 405 worth of force, then your 406 overcomes the 405 by a little bit. Now, how much? Well, not very much. Okay. Uh, If you pull on 405 with 406, it's going to move off the floor very, very slowly. But it's important to understand that if you continue to apply 406 to 405, the bar will accelerate. Now, velocity is... The rate at which an object's position changes through space, okay? Miles per hour, meters per second is a, is, a, is a term of velocity. And velocity also implies that we know the direction of the pull. In this case, it's up, so it is proper to talk about velocity. Acceleration is the change in velocity, If you apply 405 to 405, nothing actually happens to the bar. If you were to be able to measure the amount of force being applied by the bar to the floor, it would go down to zero, but no movement would take place. If you apply 406, on the other hand, to 405, it will accelerate. In other words, from a velocity of zero... The load will achieve a positive number, a very small one. But nonetheless, motion starts. Okay? Force is that which produces acceleration or motion. All right. So if the bar is not uh, moving at all on the floor, if you apply four. 06 of force to it then it moves it moves upward it moves upward very slowly but it moves up furthermore its velocity as it comes off the floor is a very low number but if you continue to apply force in excess to that which it is being attracted by gravity the velocity will will continue to increase in other words it will accelerate and the acceleration and it's this isn't entirely surprising is going to be proportional to the amount of force applied to the load in excess of its weight in excess of the amount of force gravity is applied to that in other words if you apply 406 to 405 the acceleration will be very slight and very gradual if you apply for 55 to 405, it will move off the ground faster and will increase in velocity faster. If you apply 600 to 405, you will be able to significantly accelerate the movement. You'll be able to ex- significantly significantly accelerate the load on the bar now let's back up and look at what a clean is a clean is a bar that is accelerated off the floor through the range of motion during which you can pull on the bar pulling on the bar means applying force between your feet and your hands against the load on the bar the pull lasts from where the bar breaks contact with the floor until the top part of the range of motion of the pull, where you have to change the position of your feet in order to catch the bar on the shoulders. Now, at the top of the pull, your arms will be straight, you will be slightly leaning back, your knees. And hips will be in full extension. The momentum, which we'll talk about in a second, has carried you up onto your toes. And at that point, you are going to depend on your ability to get under the bar to catch it on the shoulders. Now, in order for this to take place, the barbell must continue on upward at the end of the pull. For a distance that permits you to shift from your pull to the catch. The pull is on extended elbows, extended hips, extended knees, extended ankles, plantar flexion. And with with a lean back into a shrug. All of these elements are featured at the top of the pull, at the end of the range of motion of the pull. And if enough velocity has been imparted to the bar on the way up by the acceleration, then the load will possess the physical parameter known as momentum. Momentum is mass times velocity. In other words, if I take my car out from under the, the carport over at the gym, and I, and I back that car up at one mile an hour, And I put it in neutral, then a person standing behind the car could lean into it and stop it because it possesses very little momentum, even though it weighs 3,900 pounds. However, that same car out on Interstate 40, traveling 145 miles an hour, this is how I drive on I 40. true story story. that 3900 pounds moving at 145 miles an hour will vaporize your ass and the difference is the velocity the difference is the velocity the faster the bar is moving at the top of the pull the higher the bar will travel after the pull stops because There is a period of time between the stop of the pull at the top and the catch on the shoulders that the bar will continue upward based on the amount of velocity you have imparted to the load. This is the thing that gives you time to shift from the pull to the catch to get under the bar. And it is a function of the velocity of the bar and the load on the bar. The velocity of the the loaded bar, which is the momentum of the bar, is exactly and precisely a function of the amount of acceleration that you applied to the load. And the amount of acceleration you applied to the load is a function of your ability to produce force, because force produces acceleration. Now, this is high school physical science all right the bar can't come off the floor without the production of force the bar can't accelerate without the production of force the bar has no momentum outside that which is produced by the acceleration and the subsequent velocity of the load at the top of the pull. the faster it's going the higher it moves Without being pulled after the pull stops and the more time you have to get under the bar In other words, you can clean what you can rack And you can rack what you can get under And you can get under What you can accelerate So yes, boys and girls Force production against the bar is extremely necessary for Olympic weightlifting All right And the amount of force applied to 405 laying on the floor is going to be higher if you can deadlift 600 than it would be if you can deadlift 455. I'm aware that there are Olympic weightlifting coaches, none of which are listening, of course, that uh, are of the opinion that You don't deadlift if you're an Olympic lifter because deadlifting is pulling the bar slow and cleaning is pulling the bar fast. I don't know how to have a conversation with a person who thinks that the ability to produce sufficient force to deadlift 700 will slow down a 405 clean. I don't know what to say to you, right? 700 is slow because it's real heavy. Not because we are intentionally pulling it slow, but it should be obvious that if you can pull 700 off the floor slow, that it would be easier to pull 405 off the floor fast than if all you can pull off the floor is 455. Please tell me you understand this simple arithmetic. All right, this is physical science. 700 deadlift makes a 405 clean faster. Fair stay. Therefore, deadlifting is important to train for the practice Olympic weightlifting we'll talk about these terms in a second now that's the clean all right in Olympic weightlifting the most efficient way to clean a bar would be to squat down underneath it because if you can squat down underneath it to rack it you don't have to pull it as high and therefore can pull heavier weights that can't be pulled as high as For example, a power clean. Power clean is caught at the top, must therefore be pulled over a longer range of motion. Now, in general strength training, we use the power clean because we want to pull the bar over a long range of motion. Because we're training a longer range of motion uh, when we power clean than we are when we squat clean. The full squat clean, referred to by Olympic lifters as the clean, it's understood that you're going to squat down, is a shorter pull than a power clean. But the stronger we are, the more weight we can pull over the shorter distance too. Right? This, again, is not complicated. A jerk, which is the last half of that two-part contested movement, the clean and jerk, is a bar that is accelerated off of the deltoids with a ground reaction between the hips and knees and the bar, driven up overhead and then caught on straight extended elbows after dropping under it to catch it, okay? A legal jerk cannot be pressed out. So in other words, the thing must arrive in a position overhead that it can be caught on straight, extended elbows. And then the recovery from the drop that straightens the elbows to catch the bar on straight elbows can be accomplished with either recovery from a split, if the split is the method by which you're going to drop down under it, or what's called a push jerk where you just squat. A squat jerk, push jerk, same thing and then the recovery is just a knee and hip extension. So the jerk is also an acceleration-based movement. Now, in order to get the bar up over the head, there's going to be some interaction between the upper body and the and the barbell. It is a serious mistake to characterize a jerk as being optimally performed without any force, any pressing force being applied to the bar between the shoulders and the lockout position. If the bar is going to go from shoulders to overhead, then the shoulders and elbows are going to have to flex and extend in order to produce this movement pattern. And if they can flex and extend while at the same time applying force, to the barbell as it goes up. This is obviously mechanically more efficient than only relying on the ground reaction between the barbell and the hips and knees for that same amount of upward travel off the shoulders to the lockout position. In other words, an efficient jerk is going to have a pressed component to it. And That press component adds to the acceleration as the bar goes up. This is, once again, intuitively obvious if you'll get past the dogma that is being being taught nowadays. Now, back in the day, back in the days of York here in the United States, back in the days of the extremely strong lifters in the Soviet Union, the press was one of the contested lifts. And if you will look at Sergey Redding's 502 Clean and Press on the Internet, it's been viewed millions of times at this point, if for no other reason than we have told you to do it. Uh, it, it is an amazing display of exactly what I'm talking about. Sergey Redding takes 502 off the floor in an extremely matter-of-fact way an astonishingly matter of fact way, with a with a press grip, a close grip, closer than is useful for a cleanager. jerk. He takes he cleans it off the ground with a one bounce, absolutely effortless. What looks like a power clean, although it is a squat clean, it just amazingly quick. And then takes a breath, lays back and drives the bar up overhead. That whole press took about oh, I'd guess a second and a half, if that long, maybe a second, second and a quarter. We've all seen it multiple times. It's an amazingly explosive movement. And bar just drives up overhead, two straight locked-out elbows. He gets a down signal and drops it on the floor. Uh, I don't know how it's difficult to understand that a strong press would contribute to the overhead movement that the bar must make as it goes from your shoulders to your lockout position in a jerk. So that's the jerk again, the clean and the jerk are both dependent on acceleration. And because in the jerk as well, the transition from the drive upward to dropping under it to catch it is uh, a, a, period of the movement pattern where there is no force being applied to the bar both depend on momentum both are therefore dependent on velocity which is dependent on acceleration which is dependent on force production the arithmetic here is simple and it's inescapable a snatch is a similar acceleration problem only the acceleration must occur over a longer range of motion Because, by definition, the snatch is pulled off the floor and is racked overhead on locked elbows in one movement. Now, traditionally, the snatch is performed with a wide grip. The wide grip facilitates a shorter range of motion by artificially shortening the length of the arms. Because of the angle between the shoulder and the hand that a wide grip permits. The wide grip shortens the range of motion by therefore shortening the effective length of the distance between the shoulder and the hand with a locked out elbow. Uh, and this, you know, this this amounts to eight, 10, maybe 12 inches of reduction in range of motion. So the, the snatch grip, the wide grip is an important part of the execution of the snatch. But just like the clean, the snatch depends upon acceleration at the top of the pull because between the top of the pull and the rack overhead, no force is being applied to the bar. You are dropping under the bar. And in order to effectively do that, the bar must continue on upward under its momentum. The momentum that is the result of the velocity that you applied into the bar through acceleration, from force production. So, as it turns out, all three of these movements, the snatch, the clean, and the jerk, depend on acceleration, which depends on force production, which depends on strength. It has become fashionable in Olympic weightlifting circles over the past 25 or 30 years, To regard Olympic weightlifting as a technique sport. It is a technique sport at the state meet. The Vermont state meet, you can regard as a technique sport if you want to. Even the Texas state meet is a technique thing. where you can go down there and do 90 and 110. And not be embarrassed about everything. At the international level, these numbers are inadequate. And I'll ask you to just do a simple calculation here. What is the difference between an 80 kilo snatch and a 200 kilo snatch? Do you really think it's technique? Come on, let's stop being stupid. Let's stop being defeatist. Let's stop placing 35th at the world's, okay? The difference between an 80-kilo snatch and a 200-kilo snatch is force production. It's strength. Why do you think Olympic weightlifters take steroids for technique? Boys and girls, there aren't any technique steroids. Any athlete that's taking steroids for anything knows that strength is important to his sport. Baseball, every sport where anybody has ever been caught doing steroids is dependent on force production. So why don't we just make up our minds that we're going we're gonna to increase our ability to produce force through training, and stop pretending that this is a technique-dependent sport. It is technique-dependent, but it is not technique-limited. It's not limited by technique. It's limited by force production. In other words, a man that can deadlift 700 pounds can snatch if he, if his technique is within 80%, 375 pounds, whereas a man that can deadlift 400 pounds cannot snatch 375 pounds because he's not strong enough and it doesn't matter how good his technique is. Okay. Okay. Olympic weightlifting like a lot of other sports is limited at the top of the performance by the ability to produce force against the load and that is trainable now that we've explained the uh, the basic physics of these movements and hopefully we've convinced you that it's important to be strong for Olympic weightlifting if we haven't convinced you of that, just turn this off because you're not going to like the rest of this either, okay uh, once we understand the physics of of the snatch and a cleaner jerk, what we need to understand is how best to prepare for our performance in the snatch and the clean and jerk. Here at starting strength, we have developed what we call the two factor model of sports performance. Now, we've written about this extensively on the website and in the books, but just to refresh your memory about what we, what we mean by this performance is for, in in this context is the first, second, third attempts of the snatch and the clean and jerk at the meet to prepare for the meet, which is, we, we know when we enter the meet, what day it is. It's in a point in the future here we are now six months from now we're going to a meet how do we prepare for this all right there are two factors that go into the preparation for the performance of a sports event the first factor is training what we call training training is a term we use specifically in this context to refer to the effects of accumulating over time a physiologic adaptation that will improve the performance, okay? Now, when we're talking about Olympic weightlifting, we're talking about strength. We are going to start off where we are right now in terms of strength. And we know where we are. And we have a rough idea that, If nothing else, we know we need to be quite a bit stronger than we are right now at that day, six months in the future where we will be expected to go on the platform and do three snatches and three clean jerks with heavier weights than we're doing right now. Therefore, we understand that our force production capacity must improve in that period of time. Our force production capacity is the thing that allows us to accelerate the barbell off the floor. How do we get our force production capacity to go up? Well, we get stronger. And how do we get stronger? Do we get stronger by doing the snatch and the clean and jerk? Here's Here's the part that's hard to swallow for a lot of you. If you're not a novice, in fact, if you've been doing this any longer than about six months, you don't get stronger by doing the snatch and the clean and jerk because the snatch and the clean and jerk are technique dependent but again they are sub-maximal events in terms of force production force production must be very high but it also must be very precise and a snatch A 300-pound snatch is not a heavy enough pull to strengthen the pull for a man that can snatch 300 pounds. It's a long pull. It must be accelerated. It's therefore very submaximal. Because, remember, a max pull is a deadlift. The max pull is a deadlift. The snatch is perhaps a 50, 55, 60, maybe a 62 or 3% pull of the total amount you can deadlift. Therefore, the snatch itself is light and it doesn't make you stronger for the pull. What makes you stronger for a pull? A deadlift. What makes you stronger for a deadlift? A squat and the deadlift. The squat and the deadlift are how you get strong for doing a heavier snatch. Because a heavier snatch happens only if you're strong enough to accelerate the bar harder than you did previously. That's how the snatch goes up. More acceleration. And how does more acceleration happen? More acceleration happens through the production of more force. And how do you produce more force? You get stronger. How do you get stronger for the snatch? You deadlift heavier weights, and you squat heavier weights. And then you take that increased ability to produce force, and you snatch with it and display that higher ability to produce force as the acceleration necessary to do a snatch. The same is true of a clean How do you clean heavier weights? Well, you accelerate heavier weights. And how do you accelerate heavier weights? Well, you pull heavier weights without an acceleration. In other words, who can clean more weight? A man with a 200-pound deadlift or a man with a 500-pound deadlift? Now, this this is simple and easy to understand, isn't it? How can a man who can only deadlift 200 pounds clean 250? He can't, right? And how do we get him stronger? Well, we we train the deadlift. We come to the gym and we add five pounds of workout to the deadlift for a period of time. And over that period of time, the man accumulates strength. He accumulates force production capacity. He accumulates over time and through the programmed application of heavier and heavier loads the ability to generate higher levels of force and these higher levels of force enable him to accelerate the bar off the ground more effectively than he can if he's only able to produce lower amounts of force because acceleration is force production. And acceleration is necessary for the physics of the clean and the snatch. Therefore, strength must be trained. We don't get strong accidentally when we snatch and we clean. We get strong on purpose when we deadlift and squat heavier and heavier weights by design, intentionally. We don't accidentally get stronger. We require of ourselves a five-pound increase in the deadlift every week, or every workout, or every month, depending on where you are in your level of training advancement. We require that of ourselves, because we're training. We're not just fucking around in the gym. We are designing our workouts to produce higher levels of performance, and training the accumulation of the physiologic adaptation necessary for that performance is a thing we design into our training program over time okay now training's easy to understand we've written about it quite a bit i think it's intuitively obvious to you as well that the concept of training is not specific to to power and strength sports uh, what happens to when you train for a marathon? You intentionally affect your endurance capacity over a period of time so that you can produce lower and lower times in the 26.2 miles. This is also training because you're specifically asking for a physiologic adaptation. Okay. But what about the other factor? Of the two factors the other factor is skill now skill is easy to understand in the context of Olympic weightlifting the snatch and the clean and jerk or technical movement patterns uh, deviations from optimum bar path of an inch are fatal in pulls they can be overcome by an excess of force production capacity in other words the stronger you are the less dependent you are on precision technique. Now, this is an important thing to keep in mind. Uh, The stronger stronger you are, the more deviation from absolute efficiency you can tolerate. That's another reason why we want to be strong. But the snatch and the clean and jerk are famous for being very technical lifts. Uh, The bar path that must be generated. Must be relatively uniform. Every single pull needs to be about the same thing. Okay, it's a a, a very a critical thing to understand here. The Olympic lifts, the snatch and the clean and jerk, must be repeated over and over and over and over so that you, the lifter, get familiar with what to do. So your body gets familiar with what to do so that you can consciously concentrate on one aspect of the pull while reflex takes care of the rest of it. This allows you to correct errors. You can't correct four hour, four errors at one time with the pull as long as it is in the snatch there's a lot of places in that pull where an error can take place you have to have the ability to do the snatch as a reflex and enable yourself therefore to to narrow down and focus on one aspect of the pull that you need to correct And to do that, to embed that movement pattern as a reflex, it requires thousands of reps. It must be repeated with a high degree of accuracy and precision over and over and over. And when you are dependent on a sports performance, uh, on a movement pattern that must be executed with a high degree of accuracy and precision, This is skill. This is what we mean by skill. Movements that are executed with a high degree of accuracy and precision. That's what skill is defined as. And the activity that develops skill is what we call practice. It's different from training, in that, training is a general physiologic adaptation. You get stronger. Practice has to take place in the context of the performance, in the precise context of the performance. And I like to use the baseball analogy here because it's very easy to understand. If a professional baseball player is pitching, he is throwing the ball 60 foot, 6 inches to the catcher's mitt. He's throwing 155 gram baseball, 60 foot, six inches to the catcher's mitt. All right. This is a very specific set of circumstances that are performed at the performance at the baseball game. The man on the mound throws several dozen pitches, 60 foot, six inches with a 155 gram baseball at the same place at the end of the line, the catcher's mitt. Now the catcher can move the mitt. The pitcher may decide to throw a screwball or some other kind of weird ass pattern that he has practiced over and over that he knows he can execute. But he gets to the ability to execute this activity through tens of thousands of repetitions with A 155-gram baseball thrown 60 feet, 6 inches. Now, let's get clever here, okay? Let's get clever, and let's have him throw a 200-gram baseball. That'll make him stronger, right? Because he's throwing a heavier baseball, that'll make him have to throw harder, right? Uh, This apparently is the thinking. All right. If you throw a 200-gram baseball, you are practicing throwing the baseball slower. Now, I don't think you want to throw the baseball slower. I don't think you want to alter the mechanics of the throw. If you throw too heavy a baseball... Your shoulder, which is adapted to throw a 155-gram baseball, could very well get injured. You can injure the rotator cuff during the deceleration. There's all kinds of mechanisms for the injury of the shoulder by throwing a heavier baseball. So throwing a baseball is an example of something that must be practiced. And the practice, you can easily see, must be specific to the performance for it to constitute practice. Swinging a heavy bat is the same thing. You swing a heavy bat slower, right? seems to me as though swinging a baseball bat at a thrown ball that's moving 90 plus miles an hour is exquisitely dependent on timing. And if it is dependent on timing, what are you doing swinging a heavier bat? Well, you're practicing swinging the bat slower. That doesn't sound like practice to me. What it sounds like to me is that you've confused training with practice. If you want to make the man stronger to swing his bat, why don't you have the man squat and deadlift and make his whole body stronger so he can swing the bat harder? If you want to make the pitcher stronger, instead of having the pitcher throw a 50-gram heavier baseball, which 50 grams is not going to make anyone stronger, kiddos. All right. Why don't we have him press and bench press and squat and deadlift so that the whole organism is stronger? Now, you know why I'm right? Because steroids. That's how you know I'm right. Okay. Baseball players have been caught using steroids, haven't they? Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the pharmacology of steroids, but you're just going to have to trust me when I tell you that there are no pitching steroids. There are no batting steroids. There are no rotational steroids. There are only steroids. And what do they do They make the whole baseball player stronger? So does the squat, the press, the bench press, and the deadlift. They make the whole player stronger. And in Olympic weightlifting, the squat, the deadlift, the press, and the bench press make the whole lifter stronger too. In a way that the terminal lifts in the performance, the snatch and the clean and jerk, cannot do. Okay, you cannot grind through a heavy snatch. It's either accelerated sufficiently to rack or not, but you can grind through a heavy squat, a heavy press, a heavy bench, a heavy deadlift and access all of the high threshold motor units that are not called into contraction during a snatch, a clean or a jerk. You can make the whole thing stronger, and that increased level of strength is then accessible for the display of the aspect of strength known as power. During the snatch and the clean and jerk, power is displayed, and power is a function of strength. And once again, who cleans a heavier barbell? A man with a 400-pound deadlift or a man with a 600-pound deadlift? Well, the man with a 600-pound deadlift can apply more force to the bar on the ground than a man with a 400-pound deadlift can. And how do we get from a 400-pound deadlift to a 600-pound deadlift? Five pounds a week or five pounds every two weeks, or five pounds every month, or whatever it takes for that particular athlete's level of training advancement. In other words, we know how to make you stronger. So we're going to train the Olympic lifter for strength. We're going to train him for strength, just like we would train any other athlete for strength, using the four movements that are the best at making you stronger, and those are the squat, the press, the bench press, and the deadlift. It doesn't matter that the squat, the press, the bench press, and the deadlift don't look like the snatch or the clean and jerk. They don't have to look like the snatch or the clean and jerk to make you stronger for the snatch and the clean and jerk. They merely have to make you stronger because guess what you're going to do? You're going to practice the snatch and the clean and jerk as you're getting stronger by training the squat, the press, the bench press, and the deadlift. Okay? So, practice for the Olympic lifts consists of the snatch and the clean and jerk. And training for the Olympic lifts consists of the squat, the press, the bench press and the deadlift, just like it does for everything else. Now, another consideration for this discussion of training and practice for the Olympic lifts is an interesting aspect of the mechanics of the snatch and the clean and jerk. As you go from a 50% snatch warm-up to 60%, you go from 60 kilos laying on the floor, 50 kilos, wherever you're going to start, on up through the warmups to 60%, to 70%, to 75%, to 80%, to 85 to 90%. You have all noticed, if you've done this process, you've all noticed that 70% and 60% are different. And the difference is more than just the 10 kilos. Right, you've noticed that as you go from sixty to seventy percent, the pull feels different, and it does feel different because it is different. As you go from seventy to eighty percent, it's not just a little heavier; it's a different mechanical problem. And here's why: the combined center of mass of the lifter barbell system is of importance here the lifter has a center of mass center of mass of the lifter changes with the position of lifter of the lifter off the floor, right? We're all familiar with the center of mass of the human situation. we understand that when you're standing there, it's, uh, in normal anatomical position, the center of mass of the human body is a little bit in front of the sacrum in the middle of the pelvis. You're familiar with the fact that if you raise your hands over your head, you change the center of mass to a higher position because the center of mass is a calculation based on the position of the components of that mass center of mass of a sphere is in the dead middle of the sphere center of mass of a hollow ball is in the dead center of the hollow ball center of mass of a circle is in the dead center of the circle. The center of mass of an object depends on the size and shape of the object uh, are the factors that determine where the center of mass of that object is. As the lifter goes through the pull of, for example, a snatch off the floor, the center of mass of the lifter changes position as he comes up off of the floor. So once hands are above the head, he, the center of mass of the lifters body is in a different position than the center of mass was as he started to pull at the floor. Now think about the other half of the system, the barbell, the barbell changes mass as it is loaded, its center of mass remains in the middle of the bar, right in the middle of the center knurl of the bar. Its center of mass position does not change. But as the mass of the barbell changes, as you go from 60 to 70 to 80 to 85, 90 percent, then the center of mass of the lifter barbell system, the two part system comprised of you and your barbell, changes position all the way up because. The heavier the barbell gets, the closer the center of mass of the combined system gets to the bar. Let's to, to quote an extreme, to exaggerate the example, let's say you weigh 50 pounds and the bar weighs a thousand pounds. You can see that the combined center of mass of the U50 pound thousand barbell, thousand pound barbell system is essentially the same thing as the barbell. Right. If you weigh 198 and the barbell weighs 300 at 100%, then the barbell weighs only 150 at 50%. And the center of mass of the combined system is in a different place during the pull as the weight comes off the floor the combined center of mass of the lifter barbell system therefore changes as the weight on the bar goes up. And as the weight on the bar goes up and the combined center of mass of the lifter barbell system changes, you are solving a different mechanical problem with the pull every time the weight goes up. In other words, 60% And 85% are not only different in terms of the weight on the bar, they are different in terms of the mechanical analysis of the system and therefore the movement problem. Now, thinking about it like that, what constitutes practice for a third attempt snatch on the platform? Do you understand that you cannot practice a third attempt snatch with a 70% weight because it's not the same movement. It's not the same pull. If you are going to practice for heavy PR snatches, then most of your practice is going to have to be north of 90% for before it's even remotely applicable to the movement problem that you're going to have to solve on the third attempt at the meet. If you only hit a heavy snatch twice a year, my friend, you have not practiced. You have not practiced at all. This is why the Bulgarians and their interesting little method work so well for people that can handle that level of stress. All right? The Bulgarian method has you handling heavy snatches four days a week. You are, therefore, practicing as frequently as you have to practice for the task of a third attempt PR snatch. But if you've never solved that mechanical problem, but, but twice a year, you see the problem, you see why... Practice systems, why, training quote-unquote systems that assemble workouts out of assistance exercises at 70% off blocks for lots and lots of reps are not addressing the problem of PR. PR, the heavy snatches, more than you've ever snatched before, must be prepared for with both training and practice. And practice for heavy Olympic lifts must be heavy Olympic lifts.
1: Even the people who aren't who are uh, not familiar with Olympic lifting, they see this all the time in, with the press, right? Yeah. it's the same deal. Like you, you go to a strength lifting meet, and everybody fails their third attempt press. A lot right. of people fail their second attempt press because they're not training it at that level, right? Where they where they should be. So it's kind of the right. same. It's it's along the same lines. In yes, it practicing. is. And
0: it, it's it's good to point that out because the press of the three lifts in a strength meet is the most technical of the three. It is the least tolerant of deviation in bar path. It is essentially an Olympic lift in that it is, I know it's slow, but it's still extremely sensitive to technique. It must be practiced. And practice, if you can't do a PR third attempt press at a meet like you can a PR third attempt deadlift, you can't do it. If you haven't done your third attempt press at the gym, A couple of times, you're probably not going to get it at the meet, all right, because of this very thing. It's a mechanical problem that you have to solve, and every time the weight on the bar goes up, the mechanics of the movement change, and you have to practice those mechanics specifically because practice develops skill. Skill is that which is dependent on accuracy and precision, and A third attempt heavy press is the very meaning of accuracy and precision. You can't just bull the thing up. It won't go. There are too many leaks in the kinetic chain. It's a delicate system. The thing won't tolerate a a one-inch deviation in bar path at all, not even close to it. From second to third attempt press, if you're off an inch, it's a miss. Every single time. So these, this 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 has to be understood in the in the context of practice. See how useful this two-factor model is in in helping us determine exactly what we're trying to do to prepare for the performance. You understand this? It's that the training is critical because the training prepares the physiology for the event the training makes you stronger the training improves endurance whatever the event requires the training is that which most effectively prepares the physiology for the event all right and the practice is that which most effectively prepares the skill for the event and in order for the practice to be actually practice it must be specific to the event you can't only do 70% snatches any more than you can prepare by throwing 200 gram baseballs the practice must be specific to the event if you understand the mechanics of the event then practice defines itself you have to practice those mechanics and they must be embedded and they must be reflexive, which means they must be done for thousands of reps over and over with precisely what you want to do at the performance. So I hope, this, I hope this makes a difference in your understanding of how to prepare for Olympic weightlifting. Now, what we'd like to do is give you a pointer here or two for how to get into Olympic weightlifting if you're training for strength right now uh we're often asked about this what if a guy comes into a strength program knowing up front he wants to compete in olympic weightlifting what would i tell him to do well what i would tell him to do is not going to be satisfactory to him because he's not going to want to hear this but what i would tell him to do is to not do the olympic list for a couple of months what I'm going to tell him to do is develop a strength base. Get his squat from 135 up to 275. Get his deadlift from from 155, 165, wherever he started, up to 315. I'm going to tell him to get his overhead strength up. Get his press up from 75 pounds to 135. Get his bench press, his general upper body strength, from 165 to two and a quarter. I'm going to tell him to invest initially in this training preparation, the strength preparation, so that force production is up to the point where he can actually use that force production to more efficiently perform the snatch and the clean and jerk, and therefore more effectively learn them early without having... Done so with bad habits and incorrect pulling mechanics that are just going to have to be sorted out later Right now the sport of weightlifting is littered with people Who have never learned to keep a flat low back some very high level lifters have never learned how to keep a flat low back Because they started off with the olympic lifts and not the deadlift Now this is a form problem of an unlocked soft not soft, but imprecisely uh, isometrically held lower back produces form errors in both pulls because a lo- an unlocked lower back does not transfer the same amount of force to the bar during each pull. One of the problems I noticed years ago in Olympic weightlifting coaching was the inability to pinpoint certain form errors. The bar would go one place at an 80-kilo snatch, and the next 80-kilo snatch, a different form error was evinced, Was evidenced. Uh, and, uh, you know, a, a kid might throw the bar in three different directions on, on three separate snatches with exactly the same weight. And what I finally figured out was if we would get the kid to learn how to lock his lower back, In extension that suddenly the snatch became more reproducible and if there was an error it became consistent and therefore easier to fix but if different amounts of pull are getting to the bar every time this is the result quite often of a less than locked lower back and that kind of a problem arises when the kid learns the Olympic lifts without a strength base and without being taught to control his low back position, and we teach that thing in the deadlift. The deadlift must always be the precursor to the snatch and a clean and jerk. A correct pull off the floor is invaluable in being the starting point from which to execute a snatch and a clean a jerk. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell anybody that wants to do this to don't do the lifts for two or three months. And the first thing we would start with is just like we start with everything else. We'd start with a power clean, learn the mechanics of the throw and the catch, the acceleration and the catch. Cause it's basic to both the clean and the snatch. You throw the bar up and you catch it. You accelerate the bar up and you catch it. Right.
1: And, and arguably spending enough time – I mean, the power clean is going to be introduced real early, especially a guy who wants to be an Olympic lifter. I mean, you expect to start having them power clean a month, maybe even sooner, into the program?
0: Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, it when, usually, when, I say two or three months. But, but Once they
1: can pull a bar off the floor with a flat back.
0: Once they can pull a deadlift off the floor with a flat back with a weight that's, you know, 15 20% over their own body weight. They could probably start learning to clean, but not until then.
1: But but you're still setting them up for future, for the, the future good practice yes. in the Olympic list by doing just the power clean. In other right. words, there's no reason to do all this other shit. No. Yet, not because at first. they're not strong enough, so the power clean is sufficient to also do the practice part of the two-factor yes. initially.
0: Yes, it is. Because the power clean is also dependent, just like the snatch and the full squat clean, on accelerating the bar through the middle of the pull with a flat back. And the flat back is first enabled by a correct deadlift. And then the power clean is added in so that we can apply the strength that we have acquired in the squat and the deadlift to an accelerated pull through the middle. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I would stray on the on the side of somebody that specifically wants to uh, compete in Olympic weightlifting, I might go ahead and start that person out on the snatch after a month. But I still think we're going to do four weeks of deadlifts without, without doing the snatch because the guy has got to learn how to hold his low back flat because it's a critical skill and it's, it's, it's not just automatic. It's not as automatic as you think. I've encountered experienced lifters that were having that problem, I, and by that I mean guys that had been lifting three or four years, been doing the Olympic lifts, going to meets three or four years, that had never thought once about ho- how to hold their lumbar in extension, that problem we solve every Saturday morning at our seminar. It's an, it's an amazing thing that some very good athletes have never thought about their low back position. They're holding it there fairly steadily accidentally, But if you give them the tool that enables them to lock their lumbar spine in rigid extension and think about it and determine whether it's there and then train that position for strength, then you're handing them away around a lot of form problems that are the result of having first learned the pull as the snatch or the clean. Because most Olympic lifting coaches are not particularly diligent about low back position in these little kids. They're teaching how to do the snatch and the clean. I've, I've watched them. I know this is true. And their response to this comment was, "Oh, it's not necessary. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. 14 year old boys are spasmos. They're little fucking movement pattern problems on wheels. And they depend on you to teach them how to hold, especially their low back, in the correct position during a pull. Don't assume they know how to do it. And don't assume that just because the kid performed a good clean, that that's the best he can do. Because you can improve him if you'll teach him how to lock his lower back in extension. There are a couple of pretty good national lifters right now whose coaches have obviously never addressed this situation and a month's worth of practice and training on this on this movement pattern and strengthening that particular position would immeasurably improve the reproducibility of their first second third attempt snatch and cleaner jerks but not my problem my problem is to tell you how to do it if i'm telling you how to do it we're not gonna we're not gonna pull fast Until we can deadlift strong and then we're going to introduce the power clean the power clean is going to be the first thing because it's all we need to do it's the training wheels movement it's the thing that doesn't require as much technical expertise as the squat version but it's the thing that teaches you the concept of throwing the bar up whipping the bar through the middle of the range of motion imparting momentum to it and then catching it effectively quickly and and securely on the shoulders you've got to learn how to rack the bar you got to learn how to rack the bar with a good elbow position later on you've got to learn how to rack the bar with an elbow position that's going to permit an effective jerk which will be done with lower elbows and not elevated elbows not full shoulder flexion full shoulder flexion is not the position where the jerk comes off the shoulders in a position where the elbows can help drive the bar up. A lot of Olympic lifters have been taught to jerk with their elbows up in front of them. Look at every one of these people jerk. And what you will see is that during the dip and drive, as they call it, the elbows drop down. If the elbows are going to drop down, why don't you just drop them down so that there's one less thing to do out of the bottom of the, of the jerk dip, all right? And then uh, you power clean, and you if you want to be an Olympic weightlifter, you're going to have to learn how to rack your power cleans with lower elbows than you're going to use in uh, a regular power clean for somebody that's only interested in doing the power clean for general strength and conditioning. If you want to be an Olympic lifter, you've got to learn how to rack the clean in the jerk elbow position, which is lower. Because the lower the elbows are, the less drop the elbows have to engage in to drive the bar up over the head in the jerk. And again, as we previously mentioned, don't be a dumbass and assume there's not any pressing component to jerking. There is. There should be. And if you'll train your press, you'll be a stronger jerker. Absolutely. Obviously, you have to learn how to harness that drive, but that's part of the movement pattern. And then I would add some, probably the first thing after power cleans that I would add would be power snatches to learn how to apply that whipping motion to catching the bar at lockout over the head instead of on the shoulders. These two are extremely related movements power clean and the power snatch can be learned fairly quickly together. Power clean for a person that wants to be an Olympic lifter, power snatch is maybe two weeks later, and there's plenty of opportunity to throw in the power snatch, even into the early versions of the novice progression. We could alternate light pull day with power cleans and power snatches, or we could even add the power snatch. That's just not going to be very heavy to one of the other two workouts without any problems whatsoever. The third movement I would teach would be the jerk. And I would teach the jerk after the power clean and I would teach it out of the rack. Like the press, I'd take it out of the rack, out of the rack, practice elbow position, get the idea of shoving the bar up and dropping under it and catching it on straight arms. Embed the idea that the the jerk drop is a bounce instead of a dip and drive, which is a, an ineffective way to perform the same movement. The faster the drop happens, the more rebound goes into the bar on the way back up, and the faster the bar leaves the shoulders. And the faster the bar leaves the shoulders, the sooner you can begin the drive upward phase. You actually drive the bar past your eyes on with your pressing strength on a jerk. And that Directly precedes the drop either through the split or the squat And this movement pattern is is sufficiently different from The pulls that you previously learned that some time is going to have to be spent on this But I would probably for a person that wants to be an olympic lifter. I would probably have them jerking three months in out of the rack on on power clean day and after I'd say even just stay with those movements separated like that for the duration of the novice phase. And then when we get to the end of the novice phase, early intermediate, we're going to start doing the clean and jerk as a separate exercise and the snatch as a separate exercise. We will go probably to a four-day workout, some version of the Texas method or some version of... The four-day split, depending on your particular training situation, and uh, incorporating the full versions of all these lifts. By then, we will have learned how to squat, clean, and squat snatch. We will be we we'll be jerking all of our cleans.
1: And you learn you're learning the squat snatch and the squat clean when the weight gets heavy enough that you yes. just have to do it. Right, and we've got the videos right. to show that progression. Right, we've
0: we've we've developed that progression on our, on our video collection. Just look those up. What you'll find is that it's easier to squat under a heavier snatch and a heavier clean than it is the empty bar. Okay. It'll, it'll help you. So at first we're not going to worry about the squat because it's a fairly natural movement, uh, that you'll execute when you finally have to go under the bar, it'll take you a little while to learn that, but that's not the hard part of the pull. The hard part of the pull is the pull. The catching it overhead is not that big a deal once you have pulled it correctly and predictably. Now, if you're one of these people that doesn't know how to pull the bar efficiently and the bar ends up with different amounts of backward momentum every time it reaches the overhead position, then you're gonna have problems racking the snatch in the the squat. You sure are, but that's a pull problem, not a rack problem. Now let's talk about the front squat. The front squat, is uh, a necessary movement pattern for Olympic weightlifters to train. Okay, Olympic weightlifters are probably the only athletes that have to train the front squat because it leaves out the hamstrings. And for other applications, it's not useful. I mean, why would you choose a version of the squat that leaves out the hamstrings? You wouldn't do that. But if you're an Olympic lifter, the front squat is how you get out of the bottom of the, the squat clean so it has to be trained it has to be approached as a training movement all right this is something that is also going to be trained post novice because there's no better way to get a novice's front squat up than to get his squat up so we're not going to worry about it at first but after you get past the the point at which you're actually doing the 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 squat clean The squat snatch, the jerk out of the rack, and the clean and jerk in your training, you're also going to have to use a day for training the front squat. And by training, I mean five pounds of workout, just like every other thing we train. It won't go up quite as fast as the squat, it may get down to two and a half pounds per workout before too long, but it must be trained, it must be done weekly. And it's another thing that an Olympic lifter, uh, an Olympic lifter has to train. That a, a person who's cha- training for general strength and, and conditioning doesn't need to bother with. But it remember, the front squat is training. Okay? Practice on the application of the front squat comes when we practice the clean and jerk. Okay. So all of these things develop after the lifter switches from his the end of his novice progression into his intermediate phase
1: so the the next question is is there do you have any, could you give like a general uh, a general guideline for late intermediate intermediate program like you have to squat twice a week you have to pr your squat once a week right. you have to deadlift heavy once a week you have to right. bench once a week you have to press
0: once a week right, right. So, all this is 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 dealt with in detail and practical programming uh third edition but i would i would say that late intermediate By the time you're late intermediate, uh, you are front squatting at least once a week, maybe twice a week. You're going to squat twice a week. You're going to deadlift at that point probably once every two weeks, and you'd probably want to alternate the deadlift with the bench on a Saturday workout. All of this stuff must be trained. The press, the bench press, the squat, the deadlift, the front squat. It all must be trained and you're gonna to have to figure out a way to work this in. And if you're an intermediate lever level lifter, that means that you're still making progress on a fairly close to weekly basis. All right. At this point But it has to the, be a planned PR. It has to be a planned, planned PR. PR. Training the,
1: does not mean just going and doing the
0: Training roles. does not mean paying lip service to the deadlift on a Saturday. There must be, just like everybody else is training for everything else, the plan is to get stronger and if you're just going to go in one day and squat as much as you want to well that's how we place 35th in the worlds every year for the past 30 years okay that's not that's not training for strength yes prs are required because anything other than that is not training and as you as an olympic lifter have taken on the 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 idea that you're going to get stronger in the snatch and a clean and jerk and to do that you've got to get stronger everywhere else Because everywhere else is what it enables you to get stronger in the snatch and a clean and jerk It's a training process and you've got to commit yourself to it This is not going to be easy. It's time consuming, but if that's what you want to do This is what's involved. You're going to be in the gym a lot But you're going to be driving yourself Not only to apply yourself to heavy snatches and heavy clean-and-jerks, but to PRs on the strength movements that make progress on the snatch and the clean-and-jerk possible. Okay, So all of this stuff develops uh, when uh, we get toward the end of the novice phase and begin into the intermediate phase. And after we get to the intermediate phase, shortly after we're doing all three of these Movement patterns in correctly with the full movements. I would enter a meet. I'd enter a meet and go ahead and get your feet wet. Enter an Olympic meet and go do the lifts. Go do the three attempt snatches, three attempt clean and jerks, and see what's going on and see if you've actually made the right decision. Uh, you'll find that there is an attitude in the warm up room. In an Olympic meet, that's a little different than the attitude in the warm-up room at a power meet. Those of us that have been involved in both sports have noticed this for a long period of time. See if you can stand it. Olympic lifters are
1: the wrestlers of uh, barbell sports. Are they really? Weirdo, Wrestlings weirdos. Weirdos like to keep to Asia.
0: themselves. They're Never talk to each other.
1: Horribly introverted.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you can, if you can deal with the difference in the in the nature of the people in two sports, you, you might be a pretty good Olympic lifter. But you, at any rate, you need to go see. So don't wait too long to enter a meet. By the same token, don't enter a meet the first day you start training. There's not any point in that. You're a ways away from this. You don't need to go get humiliated the first time you go compete. But by the same token, you have to understand that the first time you go compete, you're not gonna win. Don't wait till you know you're gonna win to enter a meet. Okay? Because that's that's chicken shit. That's what we call chicken shit. All right, you gotta pay your dues. And getting your ass handed to you is part of your is part of your dues that you're paid. There's no reason to go before you're ready, but there's no reason to wait until after you're ready to go either. So go. Enter a meet. You're going to learn more about this on your own after these first steps that I've detailed for you. And if you'll think about the sport in the way that I've I've told you about today, I think you'll be better off in the long run in terms of being a successful Olympic lifter. This is a strength-based approach to the Olympic lifts. It's not the most common approach in this country. It's certainly not unknown everywhere else. The Russians are famous for this approach. They're very good at this. And just remember, steroids means strong. But so does squat, press, bench press, and deadlift. Any other questions about this, feel free to post it on the board at startingstrength.com. Post it on my Q&A. Anywhere else that seems appropriate to you. Uh, Good luck to you. Uh, This is a challenging thing you've assigned yourself to. And if we can help, we're here to help you. Thanks for watching. See you next time on Starting Strength Radio.